0: So, a lot of books in the Bible, um, will start with a couple verses that are kind of like, hey, hi, I'm Paul, and I'm, and I'm writing you, church in Thessalonica. I can say that right. Um, and there'll be like three or four verses that, like, kind of intro what the whole, you know, book is going to be about or who it's to. James, not so much. James, more or less, in James 1 is like, hey, I'm James. Um, and then right away in James 1 2. He says, "Consider it all joy, my brethren, when you encounter various trials." Oh, okay, so we're getting real right off the bat. (laughs) I I mean, that's there's no sugarcoating or no like he's just like, hey, I'm I'm James. Guess what? You're gonna go through trials. And, And thinking about the context of this, thinking about when he's writing this book, who he's writing it to, the new church needs that bad. The new church, Jesus just won. Jesus just died on the cross. He just paid the price for our sins and James realizes that immediately Satan is going to be ticked off and he's going to be battling you you're going to go through hardships for Jesus you're going to go through hardships it's just it's just how you know being a follower of Jesus it's they're going to come there's going to be bumps in the road and so James it's like a precursor to the entire book of James just like hey you need to consider it joy you don't consider it oh i'm going through another struggle again you don't consider uh, God, take this away from me. I don't I don't want this. It's consider it joy. You're like, struggle. Yeah, let's do this. Um, that so I mean that's like the precursor to the entire book of James. The troubles coming your way because you are following Jesus, it's because of the greater greater purpose that we have that we are called to and it's a, and it's awesome. So let's embrace those troubles, right? And then verse 3 goes on to say, Know that the testing of your faith produces endurance. And let endurance have its perfect result so that you may be perfect and complete, lacking in nothing. So, those three verses right there. Hey, be prepared for the struggles. They're coming. Build endurance from those struggles. Then once you do, you've got it. You're going to be wanting for nothing because Jesus paid the price for us. Jesus is the gift, and he's ready to just make you perfect and complete. So the new church needed this. And he set up the whole letter of James by more or less saying, guys, it's about to get real. It's about to get real. The struggle, or sorry, it takes work. It takes intention on our part. And it takes some hardships. So um, we're now going from James 1 to James 4, following up on uh, James 4, 6, and 7 that Andy preached on. And he does get really blunt in this section about how we need to be dead to this world. And it all comes from how we approach our hearts and being real with who we are and being real with our flaws and accepting our flaws and embracing our flaws and letting those flaws grow. So here's James 4, 8, and 9. It says, Draw near to God, and He will draw near to you. Cleanse your hands, you sinners, and purify your hearts, you double-minded. Be miserable and mourn and weep. Let your laughter be turned into mourning and your joy to gloom. Thanks, Mark, by the way, for letting this be the first section that I preach on. I really appreciate it. Um, No, so there's awesome, awesome, awesome context in these verses. If... If I was just to preach on James 4.9, I, I honestly would you know, need to spend like a month just in prayer because it's a tough verse. It's a tough verse. But the context that it's around makes it awesome. Um, so going back again to James 4.7 really quick, there's a really cool contrast as we get into this, you know, let's, you know it's about to get real section. Um, there's a contrast between you know, us drawing close uh, or Satan fleeing and God drawing close to us. So 7 says, submit therefore to God. Resist the devil and he will flee from you. And then verse 8 says, draw close to God and God will draw near to you. So there's this like opposite effect going on where it's like Satan's all the way over there and God's right here because there's like and there's an awesome contrast there. I want that. Yeah, I mean that's what we all should want. That's what we all should be striving for. And so it's with that in mind that we need to take verses eight and nine seriously. If we want that, we need to take it seriously. I mean, we, Satan. If we're if these two things are true, if you know God's this close and Satan's flee, Satan is fleeing. He's saying that person's got their act together. That guy, that girl, that man, that woman. I can't do anything. God's right there. God is surrounding them. And I, I'm just going to flee and do something else. I'm going to go elsewhere. And that's awesome. And That's what we should be striving for. So, what do we need to do? We need to cleanse our hands because we're sinners. Purify your hearts, you double-minded. You can't say you want what we just talked about. You can't say... You want Satan far away and God right here if we're not willing to look at ourselves and do something about the sin in our life. It's just, it's just not, it, not going to happen. And so, I, I, man, I, I just love how James is like so visionary. He's like got these awesome like truths about God and God is giving us promises left and right. But to do that, we need to check ourselves. So what are we supposed to wash our hands of? Supposed to wash our hands of this world. You double minded. That's what that whole section is about. It's saying you can't be a lover of both. You can't love Jesus, and on the other hand, also love the world. We have to wash our hands of that. Romans 12 2 says, I'm getting choked by this here, hold on. Um, Romans 12 2 says, Do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind so that you may prove what the will of God is, that which is good and acceptable and perfect. We can't, I I mean, again, another awesome promise from God. The will of God is good and acceptable and perfect. But in order, again, to get to those things, we have to be uh, transformed. We can't be uh, conformed by the world. All right, so... The all-star verse of, of this message, James 4.9. Uh, I love this verse. I, I, at first, I seriously was a little intimidated. I'm like, God, is there any way to sugarcoat this? Is there any way to kind of let them down easy on that one? And A, that's extremely wrong of me, you know, to you know, approach the Bible that way. And B, that's not his will. That's not his will from this verse. Be miserable, mourn, weep. Let your laughter be turned into mourning. And your joy to gloom. The moment that I realized that this verse meant that we're supposed to be mourning and and mo- I'm just gonna use the word it's afflicted. There's a word in here that James uses, and he does this all throughout James. He uses words that aren't found anywhere else in the Bible. He's like, no, that nope, that word's not good. Nah, that one doesn't quite fit. That up oh, there it is afflicted, and it's just as, it's just as simple as that. The word is talaporeo. And in the dictionary, afflicted is simply defined as to distress with mental or bodily pain, trouble greatly or grievously. Sin's a big deal. Sin is a big deal. And it needs to be. It can't be something that we just push aside and say, well, Jesus saved my sins. He did, but that can't be our attitude about it. If we're not being afflicted, if we're not mourning, if we're not... Just ticked off about the fact that we sinned and therefore God had to send His Son to die on the cross for us, then we're doing something wrong. You know, you know who was afflicted about sin? Jesus. Jesus, the night before He died for us, was on his knees just begging His daddy, like, is there any other way? Please. I mean just please Lord take this away from me please father and yet sometimes we just treat sin so flippantly we treat it just as if it's something that we don't need to worry about that oh it's there but God saved us that that's kind of slapping Jesus in the face and what he did for us that that visual the thought of of Jesus being tortured and his flesh ripped apart and nails going to his head, hands and everything that he did for us should tear us apart. It should make us afflicted. It should give us bodily pain. It should give us emotional pain. And I'm not saying all this. I'm not saying all this to try and give you a guilt trip. I'm not trying to guilt you into loving God more. That's not it at all. And we're going to go over that in a minute actually. But it has to be a big deal. And that's why this verse is in here. if we're lackadaisical, if we're apathetic, if we're nonchalant about the sin in our lives, then all of this, this awesome these all, awesome promises, they're not going to come to pass. All right, so it's important to note, and I don't want, again, I don't want I'm not trying to guilt anyone in anything. It just needs to be a big deal. That's it. It's as simple as that. and we need to be convicted of our sin, not condemned, convicted of our sin. Not condemned. And there's a huge difference between those two words. We we shouldn't be surprised when we draw close to God that God's like, hey buddy, I love you. But hey, this right here, you know, you, you need to work on that. that you, you know that was wrong. And accept that correction from him. Let him convict you of those sins, let him love on you by correcting you. Let him love on you by not accepting you for just who we are on earth, but instead seeing our purpose in the heavenly realm. So that's conviction. That's, you know what, God, I, I did screw that up, and I love you, and I'm going to work on that. Help me work on that. Condemnation is the enemy. of Putting sin in front of us, condemnation is the enemy saying, "Hey, look, you're you're not worth anything. Look look at you. You've been you keep lusting. You keep lusting over and over and over. You you're not going to fix that. It's right in front of you. Satan puts it right in front of you. You focus on it, and you're like, you're right. I am no good. I don't I don't deserve God's love. And then you you distance your yourself away, and you keep putting sin in front of of you and God." conviction is God giving you the answer for your sin. In Romans 8.1 8, it says it says there's no condemnation. I lost my space, but it, yes, there it is. There, so now there is no condemnation for those who belong to Christ Jesus. There's no condemnation. The definition of condemnation is a statement or expression of very strong and definite criticism or disapproval. A statement or expression of very strong and definite criticism or disapproval. Sound like our God. That's not our God. Our God is not up there pointing his finger and saying, you sinner. Saying, hey, you're a sinner. I get that. But guess what? I already already had the price paid for. So, let's work on this. Let's work on this together. So, Pretend I'm a basketball coach for a minute. I know it's tough, but I used to be decent at basketball. I used to be decent at basketball. Um, and I've got my team of, let's say, high schoolers. And I see purpose and vision and just skills from each and every one of them. I see talent. I see what they could be. I see what every single one of my players can be doing to help further our team, help, help uh, you know, win the battle on the basketball court. I know it's kind of weak analogy, but it is what it is. The battle on the basketball court. Um, In basketball, there's lots going on. I don't know how many of you are like fans of basketball, but you know, oftentimes your eyes are following the ball. You're following the dribbling. You're following the passing. You're following the shooting. You're following the dunking. um, All of that. But as all that is going on, um, there's so much detail. There are so many things that need to be happening on the court for a team to function properly. And one of those things that I just got harped on when I was playing, you know, in high school, was setting screens. So, simply put, when you set a screen, you know, you're trying to get your teammate's defender off of him. And so, you are, you know, quickly coming up, you're setting your feet, the defender comes here, your teammate goes by, he gets a, you know, easy pass, and he goes in for the layup, right? So that that, that screen is very important. It sets up an entire play. So... um, during practice, one of my players, he doesn't get it right. He, he, he goes too far, or he doesn't get his feet set, so he actually you know has an offensive foul. Um, I'm going to blow my whistle, right? I'm going to blow my whistle and say, hey, buddy. And I'll just go one-on-one with him and just say, hey, th- these screens, I know it might not seem like that big of a deal, but it, it's a really important part of our offense. And so I just need you to make sure that you work in getting your feet set next time and just get ready to do your part so that your teammate can score. And just simple, simple instruction, right? And I mean, so think of it as the little sins are in our lives that we don't really, you know, focus on, the little white lies or or whatever it may be, the things that God wants to fix for us. And we have to be open to thinking about those. Um, so there's there's three different main reactions that this player can have. I mean, there's probably fifteen or twenty reactions, you could punch me. But I'm just saying there's three main reactions that this player probably will have. Um, The first is the condemned. Is the condemned player who says, I suck. That's like the eighth time a coach has told me that my screens aren't working. And I I feel like I can be good at basketball, but I'm just, I'm not good enough. I'm not good enough. I'm not going to be able to do this anymore. And you sulk and you pout. And the next time your screen is even worse before you know it you're on the bench because you're just not growing you're not taking the opportunity to be matured as a basketball player the second is the proud and Andy talked about this at length you know 3 weeks ago but his image was awesome about the you know Gazelle he's like what's up lion what's up you got nothing And then the lion just, and you know, the gazelle's dead, because they're prideful. Um, But there's a really cool parable about pride, and it really ties in to everything that James is wanting to say. Luke 18, 9 through 14 says, um, Jesus told this parable to some people who trusted in themselves that they were righteous and viewed others with contempt. Jesus said, two men went up to the temple to pray. One a Pharisee, and the other a tax collector. The Pharisee stood and was praying to this to himself. God, I thank you that I am amazing, more or less. He says, I thank you I am not like other people, swindlers, unjust, adulterers, or even this tax collector here. I fast twice a week. I pay tithes of all I get. So I'm more or less awesome. So thanks, God, for making me amazing. Thank you so much. And then the tax collector, I love this stands some distance away, was even unwilling to lift up his eyes to heaven. He's beating his breast, saying, God, be merciful to me, a sinner. Jesus said, I tell you, this man went to his house justified rather than the other. For everyone who exalts himself will be humbled, but he who humbles himself will be exalted. Love that parable. It's good. And if I have basketball players like Set a screen. I score 40 points a game. Have you not seen how I can just drain threes left and right and just, I got this. Who cares? I, I'm going to mess that up every once in a while, but who, who cares? I'm, I'm, I am a star. I'm a stud. Those little mistakes don't matter. I mean, how many times have we seen athletes that are super over-the-top talented and just never make it because they won't let themselves be matured? They won't let themselves get feedback. They won't let themselves get coaching. We all have that much we all have that much talent as Christians. We all can be all stars on God's basketball court. I said it. Uh. <laughs> it wasn't in my notes. I just I, I was like, I'm not gonna say it. I'm not gonna say it and I did. Uh all right. <laughs> so the last of the three is the the player that I want on my team, the player that I want as a star on my basketball team is the humble. James 4.10. We got through 4.9. James 4.10 says, Humble yourselves before the Lord, and He will lift you up in honor. Humble yourselves before the Lord, and He, our God, will lift you up in honor. Oh, that, that's a promise right there. But it's not something where we're just going to be able to you know, circumvent or skirt around the little sins in our life. We have to. Do you take four nine seriously to get to four ten? So, what player am I going to trust with the most responsibility, with more playing time, with guarding the toughest opponent, with you know the ball in their hands when we need a shot made? A humble one. So, when I told my wonderful wife Kendra that I was going to do a basketball analogy today, she's like, "Really?" <laughs> Which is fair, a fair question, because she has no idea what I've been talking about for the last 10 minutes. But, um, the, uh, but basketball is a game of constant movement, and I think it it fits. There's so much going on all the time, and the team has to be playing together. They have to be, have their skills honed in on. They need to be unselfish. They need to be, you know, matured as basketball players in order to have victory. Um, and so I just, it says in James 1 that our faith is going to be tested. And it's going to be tested like crazy because Satan hates the fact that we're trying to be a team together. He hates the fact that we're trying to further Jesus' kingdom together. He can't stand that. So we have to constantly be on our guard. We have to constantly be honest with ourselves about our sin. We have to constantly be checking ourselves. Where's... I need you, Mike. Thanks. Um, God is not saying feel terrible about yourself because you're a sinner. And if you're hearing that at all, I'm you know I really apologize. I don't think that's coming across, but like you're not supposed to feel terrible about yourself. You're supposed to grow. You're supposed to admit The book of James is just rich with just words that are encouraging us to mature as Christians. And we have to have an introspective like, honesty in order to have that maturing actually take place. I don't know. I just love the way that James talks in general. Um, I know that we've been talking about it for quite a while now. I know that we've been in... This is like 25, 20... I don't know how many sermons, but there's just so much goodness in James. Uh, But I would encourage all of you at some point, if you haven't already, and I hope you have, but sit down and read all of James in one sitting. Just read through the whole thing. It takes... 30 minutes, maybe 45 minutes, maybe 25 weeks if you're Mark. But, you know, regardless, it's, but just, it's uh, it's an amazing book. It's an amazing book. And through it, I mean, it's just so cool. James is like, hey, you need to submit. You need to resist. You need to humble yourself. You need to purify yourself. Get rid of the junk in your life. Did I mention humility? You should be you, you should be humble. Oh, and you know what? Let me let me mention it again. Resist the, resist the devil, and mature, and purify. I mean, it just go. It, it's just a rich book, and especially when you look at the beginning and how God just like prepares you to say, "Hey guys, I appreciate you accepting my gift. Now work with me on letting me mature you." We can't just think that we got this, guys. We cannot just be like, you know what? I'm a Christian. God loves me. Notice the tone of my voice. It's like, eh, God loves me. I'm a Christian. I, I I, know that he died for me. I know that, you know, I feel, I, I feel good when I go to church. Um, it can't be that way. That picture of Christ on the cross, doing it because we put him there, has to be what drives us. It has to be what we focus on. And we don't stop at, God I'm so sorry, which I mean we should say pretty often, but we keep going and be like, show me how I can mature. Show me where I need to mourn. Show me where I need to be afflicted. Show me where I am not focusing enough on my flaws. Point them out to me. Mature me. Mark said back in the first message um, of Violet Christianity that a mature Christian is able to lead himself. Um, and I really believe that a mature Christian is also able to check himself when it comes to sin. It's one of those things that once you're just constantly trying to draw near to Him, that's when that sin comes to the forefront and we just mature. And we check ourselves. What sin? You ask it, I don't know, I, I, I have no idea what sin. I, there's no sin that's greater than any other. So that needs to be the conversation that you have with God. Going back to Romans 12:2 again, it says, don't be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your minds so that you, you may prove what the will of God is, that which is good and acceptable and perfect. That is a promise. That is a promise from our awesome Lord. You know, Paul, I mean Paul and James were writing their books, you know, their letters, pretty close at the same time. They both knew how important it was to not conform to the world, that you're going to go through hardships. So get ready. Be honest with yourself. And then lastly, the other promise James four ten. Humble yourself before the Lord, and he will lift you up in honor. He will lift you up in honor. Our God wants to lift you up in honor. He wants to tell you, well done, good and faithful servant. And he wants to go through that with you. He doesn't want you to do the work. He wants to be your active coach. He wants to be your active mentor. He wants to love on you constantly.